Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. We have Trinity Sunday coming up, and we are going to talk about some hymns for Trinity Sunday today. Very exciting. You know, I love talking about hymnody. Uh, this should be fun. We have Benjamin Kologi, member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, highly active church organist and composer and contributor to the Lutheran Service Book Companion to the Hymns, joining me today. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ben. Thanks for having me. So first, let's cover uh, what is Trinity Sunday? What is the Festival of the Holy Trinity? Yeah, it's interesting because the Festival of the Holy Trinity is really not an ancient uh, festival. Although that's to, that's not to say that the Holy Trinity was not acknowledged very early. We know it was because the early church liturgy was replete with uh, prayers, hymns, canticles, and responses dedicated to the Holy Trinity. But these were used every Sunday, uh, if not daily, in the um, course of people's prayers. So in terms of a separate Sunday to uh, dedicate to the Holy Trinity, that's uh, more recent. So if you think back to the ancient times, remember, um, too, that ancient heresy of Arianism, which uh, spread in the 4th century, and people don't know what Arianism was, but it, it was a heresy that sought to deconstruct the doctrine of the Trinity, basically. And um, Arianism evoked some great apologetic and defensive writings from the Church Fathers. Um, but the, the Latin hymns of this time routinely contained some sort of doxological stanza, a Gloria Patri at the end, which always reinforced the doctrine of the Trinity because it was under attack in the fourth century. So if you look through LSB, for example, you'll see that these ancient Latin hymns usually end with uh, a doxology, praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I think of um, of the Father's love begotten and saved the nations come uh, first to mm-hmm. mind, but there's others. So Trinitarian doctrine pervaded worship life, per- pervaded hymns in these early days, but it really wasn't until the high Middle Ages, about the 14th century, that it was decided that, well, we should have a Sunday dedicated to the Holy Trinity and about the 14th century, it was decided to observe this the Sunday after Pentecost. And when you think about it, this makes sense because, of course, we now have the full revelation of the Holy Trinity after Pentecost, right? You know, we have the complete revelation of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, so whereas normally our liturgical feasts, they are for events, they're for people rather than for doctrines, the Sunday of the Holy Trinity kind of serves as a capstone for the liturgical year, This the year that began with Christ's incarnation, his life, and concluded with the giving of the Holy Spirit, and of course the establishment of the Church. So there's a close relationship between Pentecost and Trinity, and so it's with this Sunday that we close the festival time of the liturgical year. Now I have to admit, it may not be one of the most exciting liturgical festivals, you know, may not be one that you invite your all your close family and friends to church for, sadly. But it was important, much more important in um, earlier times. And I think the fact that uh, Johann Sebastian Bach actually composed four cantatas for this festival shows uh, the importance that it had for earlier generations. Oh, 
Yes, uh, I love I love your historical tidbits on this. I didn't know that that Bach uh, had four cantatas for this. Now I have to go look them up and listen to them all for this Sunday. <laughs> I'm well spent. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to dig into some of the hymnody. Uh, and as you said, Trinity and, and uh, Pentecost are very closely related. And the uh, the hymn of the day for uh, the festival of the Holy Trinity is actually in the Pentecost section of the hymnal. So we're going to we're going to look at uh, Lutheran service book 498 slash 499. And I'm sure you're going to tell us why there's two of these. Come Holy Ghost, Creator, blessed. What should we know about these? Exactly. So let's look at 499 first, because that's okay. the older tune. Now, people in um, hymnology circles, they like to impress each other with their knowledge by simply, they refer to very famous hymns like this by simply by their uh, two names, which if you look at the bottom right, it's Vene Creator Spiritus. It's the Latin name. Um, and so that gives it the two names, which, which you see at the bottom right of the page. So we know this is an ancient Latin hymn. We don't really know about the authorship of it. I mean, it's been in dispute. You'll see that the hymnal attributes it to a certain Ravenous Marus, a ninth century uh, archbishop. But we don't, don't really know. Um, and I'm not sure it matters, really. But it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit, and it's always been employed for a Pentecost and for any time you really need to invoke the Holy Spirit with the most solemnity. So, for example, it's been used for ordinations, for consecrations of churches, um, and uh, actually English coronations have sung this hymn since the 14th century. And I, I checked, actually, uh, Queen Elizabeth's coronation, a liturgy from 1953, indeed utilized this hymn. And, of course, I was secretly kind of hoping it would have uh, been used at her recent uh, jubilee service at St. Paul's Cathedral, but they didn't sing it. So I guess there's little liturgical precedent for a service celebrating 70 years on the throne. <laughs> this really dense uh, text. So looking at the text at 499, um, we start off with a very succinct prayer. We're praying that the Holy Ghost comes to us. This is the first word, comes in both Latin and English, uh, Vini. And we call him the creator blessed. And, you know, this this um, has questions. What, what, how is he the creator? And, and I think this, this works in several ways. I mean, we know there is Trinitarian implications in the creation of the world. I mean, think of Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Um, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, you know, there's a Trinitarian implication there. But we know in a, a more tangible way that the Holy Spirit works and creates faith in our hearts now, which really indeed is suggested by this next phrase, and make our hearts your place of rest. So we're praying for this indwelling, this full measure of the Holy Spirit, um, which says, to fill the hearts which you have made. And we then address the Spirit as counselor or paraclete, helper, advocate. And we get this from uh, John 14, where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Oh, I want to say that in the, in the King James. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, this third stanza here references the uh, sevenfold gifts of the spirit, which are actually referenced in I Isaiah 11. But in the fourth, uh, we pray for light to every thought in part and shed your love in every heart. And we acknowledge our mortal state, which, 
of course, contrasts with a life the Spirit offers um, and who us with deathless life invigorates, this life-giving power of Pentecost. And look at the next stanza. We pray that the Spirit drives away Satan, gives peace, uh, just as Jesus promised he would in uh, John 14, 26. Um, but the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you these things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. So there's an enlightenment, right, that the Spirit gives us. And this verse goes on to inform the next stanza. Uh, and we pray the Holy Spirit teach us to know the Father, Son, and you from both as three in one. So you can see this Trinitarian, very clear Trinitarian emphasis here. And then, of course, like I said, this concludes with a doxology, praising Father and the Son and Holy Spirit with them one. Again, in character with these early Latin hymns, uh, reinforcing re, uh, the Godhead, one in unity. And looking at 499, you'll notice that the tune has no time signature. You know, if you study piano, you know you have a 3-4, It kind of establishes your metrical beat. But not here. And this is because, of course, this melody, melody was a plain chant of the original type of church music. There was, you know, you, you think now maybe of monks singing plain chant, and indeed that's what they did. So plain chant, instead of being governed by a strict, strong, weak accent, the melody here just accentuates the text. So to our modern ears, this can seem a bit confusing because we're accustomed to repeating accent patterns, strong, weak, etc. But if you can get the melody firmly in your mind so it's not a distraction, I think it serves as a really good vehicle to the text. But then if you look at 498, the only difference of which is, of course, the tune. Um, and you see the rubric at the bottom. It says the hymn may be sung in alternation, alternation with the version found on the facing page. So you can, for example, you can sing the left congregationally and the right one uh, uh, with the choir, for example. But 498, the tune, um, uh, the tune, the plain chant tune was well known by Luther's time, and he held it in high regard. So he came up with a translation into German. It's called Kom, Kom Gott Schöpfer, Heilige Geist. And, he, and along with this vernacular text the, in the German language, uh, Luther adapted the plain song melody so that it could be easier for his people to sing. So if you compare the melody, you can see how they're related. But Luther's sets one syllable per note, unlike the chant. You know, on the right side, you get, Come, Holy Ghost, Creator, blessed. Whereas at 498, you have, Come, Holy Ghost, Creator, blessed. One syllable per note, which gives you a repeated accent pattern, which is really easy to think, to sing. So if you're thinking about how Luther introduced congregational singing to the average person, which really took a lot longer than people think, this is a good example of how he did it. He didn't, he took, he didn't just annul the great Latin hymns, but he used many of them as a basis for creating something arguably more singable. And he made it more singable with his translation by simplifying the melody and by setting one syllable uh, per note. Um, and I have a hymnal collection at my house of hundreds of hymnals, and this this Latin hymn text is found in almost every hymnal or uh, liturgical book I have. Um, 
the Latin and the um, English. And in the German hymnals, I have it's Luther's version. Um, the German translation is just in almost everyone. So uh, I really can't stress enough how important this hymn has been to the universal church. It comes from the, the Latin medieval times, but it's been sung by everybody. And I think maybe if there's one hymn anthem that we can all sing together one day before the throne of God, this may be it. Hmm. That would be amazing. I would be totally on board for that. <laughs> I uh, I love the the historical uh, things that you bring to this. And one day I want to look through all of your hundreds of hymnals because I, it would be so, super, super fun. We have more to talk about uh, with tr- uh, Hymns for Trinity Sunday. We have a couple more to look at after the break. We're talking with Benjamin Kologi. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're talking about hymns for Trinity Sunday with Benjamin Kologi. And uh, before we went to break, we uh, or Ben talked about uh, Lutheran Service Book 498, 499, Come Holy Ghost Creator Blessed, uh, a hymn we can sing across uh, all of Christendom nearly with uh, how important this hymn has been to uh, to the history of our hymnody. Now, Benjamin, uh, you wanted to, uh, did, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with those or shall we move on? Let's move on. Okay. And next we have Lutheran Service Book 505, Triune God, Be Our Stay. What should we know about this hymn? Right. So if you look at the bottom left of the hymnal, which uh, we should always do, bottom left and bottom right gives us hymnological information, which really helps us interpret the hymn. Uh, You'll see that the text comes from Martin Luther, but sort of, Uh, because in reality, the text had existed at least a century before, and um, it addressed the saints. It was created as a litany to the saints. So, for example, the original medieval hymn text in one source is addressed to, uh, instead of triune God, uh, to St. Peter, and another verse to St. Mary. And you see you have two two versions of verse one. You can sing the triune God just generically so, or what's probably better to do is to sing it as a litany, God, the Father, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. But I'd like to start with this hymn with the melody, because the melody is a medieval one, and it has more of a folk-like character to it, which to me suggests that it was used extra-liturgically or outside of the church, unlike the Come Holy Ghost we talked about, which had a very smooth, plain chant. You can imagine monks singing it. This is not that sort of tune. Uh, we see that this melody moves in a simple, stepwise motion, and it has a sturdy mm-hmm. rhythm, and it really keeps things um interesting dum 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 
unlike the plane champ, which really strives not to employ a recurring meter like one, two, three, this tune is unapologetically rhythmic. So, God, the Father, be our stay, oh, let us perish never. You have this repeated strong week. And this kind of tells us that it probably had folk origins, or at least origins outside of the church service. So originally it was a litany to saints, but Luther, of course, altered the hymn so that instead of addressing the saints, it now addressed God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. So thus, even in the early days of the Lutheran church orders, it was uh, found appointed as the hymn of the day for Trinity Sunday. And I asked um, uh, Pastor Denzer, uh, director of worship for the LCMS, about this, and he really confirmed how far back this goes to the 16th century, that this was appointed the hymn of the day for, for Trinity, far back. Um, and I mentioned it was in the form of a litany. So there are three addresses to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the petition to each, the petition is the rest of the hymn. So the petition being, oh, let us perish never, cleanse us from our sins, grant us life forever, keep us from the evil one, uphold our faith, let us trust thee. So these verbs, grant, keep, uh, uphold, let. And a litany just is a liturgical term that means a prayer with a repeated section somehow. So if you think of the curie in a, several of the divine services, to each petition we respond, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. And that, of course, is a simple petition, a litany. Um, But this hymn, 505, is a more complex litany because we're petitioning each person of the Trinity for uh, all of these aforementioned virtues at the end. But then then we kind of conclude each petition with, let us put God's armor on. With all true Christians running, our heavenly race and shunning, the devil's wiles and cunning. Amen, amen, this be done. So sing we alleluia. Well, this, of course, has a theological basis in Ephesians 6, uh, when Paul writes, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And, you know, we say that this amen, amen, this be done. This is a very firm reiteration of these verses at the end. And Again, I'll have to freely admit that this hymn probably wouldn't win any top 10 hymn prizes, even from, you know, those diehard Lutherans who know all of Luther's hymns and have memorized the catechism from the early age. But I think the tune has been underrated. Uh, Think of this opening line. God the Father be our stay, oh, let us perish never. I think this influenced other hymns. If you think of the hymn, Christ with glory fill the skies, from the 18th century, this tune, Christ whose glory fills the skies, Christ the true and only light. That's almost the exact exact tune there. Um, uh, and uh, also the second half of the line reminds me of the hymn, uh, the Jesus Lives the Victory One, the, sec- the section that goes, Death no longer can appall me, oh, let us perish never. You know, those are almost exactly the same. And, and, um, that tune came from Johann Kruger in the 17th century, and certainly he would have been familiar with this early uh, 
this early tune. And I think that that just shows the relationship that these hymn tunes had with one another. They build on each other. Mm -hmm. Anything more or shall we move on to the, to our last one? Yeah. Let's move on. All right. This, this is so fun. I love, I love talking about hymns. We have a Lutheran service book of 507, Holy, 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 uh, quite a popular one. Yeah. And, and so again, I hate to tabulate top tens, but this might come in some people's top tens. Holy, holy, holy. You know, um, I might get in trouble for saying such a thing, but it behooves us to consider why this might be, how this hymn is different uh, relative to the first hymns we talked about. And I think we can we can come to some specific reasons. So the Come Holy Ghost was originally a play chant too, right? A dum da 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 dum very free-flowing, um, the rhythm comes from the text, not from the meter of the tune. It was in Latin, and what we sing is only a translation from the original, set to a plain song tune that was meant to carry a Latin text, uh, not an English one. And the same thing with God the Father be our stay. It's a translation of a German, uh, and the tune was meant to, to uh, carry that German text. And of course, we should always be thankful for translators who do such an artful job of giving us these great hymn texts. But a translation is still a translation. And whether it's a medieval plain chant or a medieval German folk style tune, they're going to sound a bit less familiar to our ear than, say, 507 here, Holy, Holy, Holy. And this was an, a hymn that was artfully composed in English by Reginald Heber in the 19th century, and it was set to a sturdy tune that to our modern ears, and they've been accustomed to such sounds, it sounds very hymn-like, and so it's easily learned. So in 507, where she's singing an original English text to a tune that is meant to carry this text, and so I think 507 benefits from that, um, uh, you know, whatever merits the other texts may have, this one benefits from the fact that we're singing an original English text. But at any rate, this hymn comes from Reginald Heber. He was born in 1783. I really like what I have read about him. He was born to a wealthy family, but he was a scholar, and he had a library of some 140,000 books. I have a ways to go before I can can get to that. Approach. But uh, he was a parish priest in England, and toward the end of his life, he was appointed Bishop of Calcutta. India. He was a fairly popular bishop and even ordained the first Indian national uh, to Anglican holy orders. So we know he wrote hymns, and the other hymn found in many hymnals these days, his hymn is uh, Brightest and Best of the Stars of the Morning, or the Sons of the Morning, depending on how you use it. Now, older generations might remember his missionary hymn from Greenland's Icy Mountains, which of course was born from his own experience as a uh, missionary, but this hymn hasn't really stood the test of time because it uses some antiquated language that's fallen into disuse. But this is really a profound text. It's his best-known text. Consider the allusions here in the first three words, holy, holy, holy. And, you know, where do we hear this in Scripture? It, it's a lot. It's all throughout Scripture. And, of course, first and foremost, we think of the opening verses of Isaiah 6, his vision, uh, where we read, Above him stood the seraphim. He had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth 
his full of his glory. And we can go in Revelation as well, Revelation 4. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, was and is and is to come. And of course, this is going to sound familiar because most of us sing this in the Sanctus. Um, in our communities, we sing in liturgies, we sing holy, holy, holy. And so no doubt the thoughts of the Sanctus uh, in the service uh, stirred Heber's mind when he composed this hymn, which is a quintessential one for Holy Trinity Sunday. So this, whole, this tripartite, holy, 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 already establishes the Trinitarian nature of this hymn. So the first stanza, look, it gives us a glimpse into this heavenly worship, worship that's unending. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. And then it tells us why we worship this way, because God is merciful and mighty in three persons, blessed Trinity. And uh, we continue singing in the next stanza that all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. And of course, following which the cherubim and seraphim are falling down before thee. And um, the third and fourth stanzas continue to expound on the magnificence of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where we sing Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power and love and purity. And so our own sinfulness is summarized here. It's our disconnect from God's. God's ways are higher than our ways. Um, but kind of tells us about the nature of the Trinity. And so I think perhaps this hymn summarizes well the meaning of Holy Trinity Sunday. It's definitely not about a person or a historical event like all of the rest of the liturgical year, but it perhaps sums up God's triune nature, which we should worship in truth and holiness all the time. And so um, the church year starting with Advent has led us through a revelation of God's nature, first through his birth, Christ's birth, ministry, death, and resurrection, and we conclude at Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit. But here, we're, we have now finally the revelation of the third person of the Trinity on Trinity Sunday. And it's this Holy Trinity that we can worship and whose praises we can now sing fully. So I hope everybody enjoys singing these great hymns on Trinity Sunday. I sure will. And I know uh, knowing so much more about them now, it's always fun to be able to, to recall these little things as, as you're singing. There's so much, gives it so much more meaning as, as we sing through the church here. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for joining me today on the Coffee Hour to talk about hymns for the Trinity. You're welcome. You've been, you've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.